0: ...married briefly in his 20s, but now, at almost 60 years old, with an athletic frame, generous lips, and slick black hair, he played a curious dual role, introverted data guy and eligible society bachelor. Every Republican president since Richard Nixon had come to value his advice. He was the man who knew the arcana of the federal budget, next year's likely steel output, and the mysterious fragilities of finance but he was also an accomplished dancer and a driver of ostentatious cars, and he courted beautiful women, not always sequentially. The previous year, Greenspan had appeared on TV in a broad-shouldered power suit to pitch the latest Apple computer, fusing his own brand of nerdy sex appeal with Apple's insurgent image. After demonstrating how viewers could use the device to track their finances, dial into their bank accounts, and pay bills electronically, Greenspan signed off with evident pleasure. If you have any money left over, congratulations, he closed, with a sardonic arching of his eyebrows. You're doing better than the government is. Reagan seemed to like Greenspan's remark about a gold standard. I used to pay $50 for a suit, the president complained. Now $50 will hardly get it cleaned. Vaulting from the mundane to the existential, he asked, is it possible for mere human beings to decide how much money should be put out? The problem you have in the federal government is that it can print money, Greenspan observed sympathetically in his trademark tone of soft authority. A gold standard might be the way to discipline the political classes. So long as there was a central bank that could create fiat money at will, politicians would always spend beyond their means, confident in the knowledge that their debts could be cancelled by the printing presses. For precisely this reason, Greenspan had spent his twenties and thirties railing against the monetary status quo. Until Americans recognized that money printing central banks were fundamentally deceitful, until they tied money to gold, inflation would remain a constant threat and the economy would rest on rickety foundations. Indeed, although few people remembered this, Greenspan had pushed this argument to its logical extreme. In what must surely rank as one of the 20th century's great ironies, he had described the creation of the nation's central bank as one of the historic disasters in American history. A year and a half after his exchange with Reagan, on August 11, 1987, Alan Greenspan was sworn in as Federal Reserve Chairman. For the next 18 and a half years, he embodied the idea that he had frequently denounced, That the discretionary judgments of a money printing central bank could stabilize an economy. Greenspan was so apparently successful in doing what he had deemed impossible, that he became a global superstar, revered by economists, adored by investors, consulted by leaders from Beijing to Frankfurt. When he held forth at the regular gatherings of central bank chiefs in Basel, you could hear a pin drop. The distinguished figures at the table, titans in their own terrains, took notes with the eagerness of undergraduates. Through quiet force of intellect, Greenspan seemed to control the orchestra of the American economy with the finesse of a master conductor. He was the maestro, as an incautious biographer suggested. His oracular pronouncements became as familiar and comforting to ordinary Americans as Prozac and The Simpsons, the New Yorker's John Cassidy wrote, slyly citing mood lifters that debuted the same year that Greenspan was appointed. Greenspan's triumph was not merely remarkable in light of his own history as a critic of paper money. It was a refutation of powerful economic ideas, ideas that made it difficult even to conceive of a Fed chairman as a maestro. Since opening for business in 1914, the Fed had presided over inflation during two world wars, converted the recession of the 1930s into the Great Depression, and then, in the 1970s, proved feckless in the face of the most serious peacetime inflation in the nation's history. Surveying this procession of disasters, monetary theorists argued that central bankers would always be soft on inflation. They were subject to irresistible political pressures to juice up the economy. Arthur Burns, who served as Fed Chairman between 1970 and 1978, was ruthlessly bullied by Richard Nixon's henchmen. His successor, G. William Miller, was chosen by Jimmy Carter because he was politically loyal, then summarily removed after 18 months in office. In 1979, Milton Friedman went so far as to write to Paul Volcker, Miller's replacement, confidently predicting his inevitable failure. My condolences to you on your promotion. Friedman sneered.